Everyone, you're listening to Prime by Cortex. I'm your host, Kirby, and today I'm joined by a special guest. Hi there. Uh, you all know me as Angeal, A-N-G-I-L-L-E. My name is Jasmine Barlow. If you're just getting to Cortex, you'll probably see Angel's name around a lot, whether directly in conversation or just on various hacks. I think, uh, Angel, I, th- I think it's accurate to say you're practically a walking library of Cortex hacks at this uh, at this point in time. You've been with the Cortex community for uh, quite a while now, I think. But how long have you been in uh, tabletop role-playing games in general? Oh, good grief. Uh 25 years, at least, maybe 30. Started in D&D 2nd Edition. Uh, my mom grabbed some books from a garage sale, and that was that. Went on to GURPS and D20. I was into Mutants and Masterminds for a really long time, and then found Marvel Heroic. Marvel Heroic really springboarded me right into the whole Cortex world. Got into Leverage from there, Firefly, and yeah, working on character sheets for Firefly is when Cam looked over and said, hey, that's that's actually really awesome. We started talking from there. Yeah, I think you have like a small, well, I wouldn't call it a small repository of different character sheets. Now, I, I guess to clarify for our listeners who may have already seen you around, what exactly is your relationship with uh, Cortex in general? I'm a moderator on the official Discord. I own and run the unofficial Discord that was around before then, but it's it's practically a ghost town at this point because the official one is actually really awesome. I did a little bit of consulting, which got my name in the handbook. Pretty happy about that. As a moderator on the Discord, I also get to see some things and I also get to not talk about them. <laughs> yeah, that I imagine that's probably like the hardest thing, having to divide what's probably a mountain of information from what you can and cannot talk about. Like uh, Cam and the rest of the gang is are pretty active in the Discord as well, and that's probably something that's probably constantly on their mind. Now, for our listeners at home, uh, today we are going to be talking about pathways, character sheet design, and one of... Uh, Angel's many projects, uh, which we'll probably get to closer to the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that. Angel, what are Pathways in a nutshell? Pathways are a way of building your uh, game setting through collaborative design with all the players. There's a wide variety of ways that you can bring that to your table. You know, it exists on sort of a spectrum where on one end, you're doing all sorts of stuff with it. You're building all the characters from scratch. You are building up a network, a web of interactive relationships and places and events and connecting them all in ways that give the GM hooks and wedges. It's amazing. And you can go in one direction with it where you're just drawing the setting map placing all the different elements and stringing them together with with the red string. Or you can swing all the way the other direction, which is just building your characters based off of kind of a life path uh, grid of choices. 
Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's also just only one of the ways that you can approach character creation in uh, Cortex. There, there are a couple other ways that you can do it uh, that the book presents, but Pathways, I think, is probably maybe the more intensive, at least in my opinion, of the uh, character creation process. Like It absolutely requires the session zero to get going because uh, you're not just collaborating on creating connections between your characters and others you're, you're also helping to build the setting depending on uh, what you and your table have decided to do you could be uh, an average player could just be introducing new characters um, like you said introducing potential hooks for wedges uh, but also like locations and assets and uh, all this other stuff is a very visual medium as well now i think it comes up a lot uh in the discord and i think i've seen it come up on the reddit um but uh, a lot of people are curious about pathways we don't have like a whole lot of example like official examples for pathways just yet they they talk about in the handbook we used to have smallville i'm not i'm not sure if any of the other cortex games had it uh and unfortunately smallville is um out of print now that's lost the time in the sense if unless you're buying like a secondhand copy i think when it comes to designing pathways for your cortex game it probably helps to know what's actually on your character sheets uh because you're essentially taking every Every step of character creation that you see in the other character creation methods, like how you're assigning dice and stuff, and kind of uh, dividing it along different stages during the pathways creation process. With that said, I think there's a lot of interest in design pathways, but even more so with uh, just getting a character sheet to the table. Now, Angel, I, I haven't personally counted, but it seems like you've made at least a few dozen uh, character sheets. Uh, could you maybe give us a like rundown on how you go about that and some advice you might have? Character sheets, of course, are one of the methods that you can use to help design a game. And with Cortex, that's actually really important because the trait sets that define how your game runs are also going to be on the character sheet. The character sheet itself, I kind of like to call the control panel of the game. You know, they're the, they're the interface between the player and the game world. Everything that you're going to do in the game is going to go through the metaphor of all the, all the bits and pieces on the character sheet. So you want to make sure that, among other things, everything that you can do in a game at one time, you can see it once on the character sheet. You, know, you can flip it over for completely different modes. Everything's got to be there, ready for you to just read right through it. And it's something that uh, we'll be able to do uh, eventually when the court, like the broader digital tools for Cortex releases. Here soon, we should be able to see uh, custom-made Tales of Xadia uh, sheets when that fully releases or, uh, well, I guess depending on when this episode airs, uh, it has just released. We'll see. But yeah, in the meanwhile, like whether there are or aren't digital tool sets from fandom uh, to create these character sheets, in my experience, uh, and this might be different for, for you since you've been with Cortex, I, I think a lot longer than me. It could be a time-consuming thing just figuring out like the right trace sets for your character sheet, and then uh, designing the character sheet so it's not like so so cluttered or busy. And that that's a sacrifice that you have to make in some ways is making sure that the character sheet has all the information you need and 
some of the some of the tools that you can add to it like character building instructions and dice pool instructions those can be helpful especially for a one-off or a first-time game but you also want to make sure there's not too cluttered. There was a version of the hammerhead sheet that I made at some point that had all the character creation instructions on it, but it was it was also pretty hard to read to get through. And one of the other things that you can do to help make it as efficient as possible is there's this thing that your eyes do. They're called saccades, the rapid eye movements as you scan a page. Mm-hmm. And with most Western scripts, left to right, top to bottom, those saccades are going to go in kind of a kind of a Z pattern. One of the ways that you can help make your character sheet as efficient as possible is to have your trait sets be arranged in such a way that as you're building your action, as you're reading out the fiction, you're picking trait sets along this Z shape scanning pattern. And that's just something that I try to incorporate into the character sheets that I make. It's something you see in magazine layouts and advertisements. I guess with that in mind, with how Cortex works, there's prime sets and then there's just regular trait sets. Are we then putting prime sets uh, ideally top left or? Well, starting at the top left, I like to also call them out a little bit. So either in the original immediately post Kickstarter version of Cortex, there was a pretty pretty obvious way to call out the prime sets and then the the additional sets with a with a circle with an outline or a circle without an outline. Uh, and I th- I think I think we can also do that now with little mod logos. But on some sheets, you know, I've made the prime sets very delineated from everything else. There's a Star Wars sheet I made where, you know, the prime sets are all in their own little area at the top. There's a Zelda sheets I made have basically just the prime sets, really big, really colorful boxes. You know, it's it's really easy to just grab the traits from them. For my own stuff, uh, since we're all waiting for the digital tools, I've taken basically Melly's method of using uh, Google Sheets or Excel to create my own character sheets with a huge difference being that I don't have a lot of the underlying wizardry that Melly uh, seems to inject in her own sheets. But that said, uh, as, as functional as that is, what tools would you recommend uh, for anyone just uh, designing a sheet in general, whether they're publishing for a creator studio or even just doing an at-home thing uh, and wants to do a like fancy and have something like printable? Well, and that's mostly what I focus on with my own character sheets is making printable sheets that you can use at the table. The whole digital Milo uses kind of a different set of concepts and requirements. So I'm really excited to see what fandom uh, is bringing to the table in terms of the digital character sheets and the digital creation. Uh, You can also, there's some really amazing fan created digital character sheets on Fari and what's the other one? Foundry. And I think there's, there's a couple on Roll20, but I think the, the really cool ones are on Foundry and Fari. But in terms of generating the assets for printing your own character sheets, the tools that I have used in general have been Adobe Illustrator and InDesign. And recently I've started using Affinity Designer and Publisher because they don't have a subscription model in the same way that Adobe does. You can also get a lot of utility just out of the Google Docs, the Google Sheets, Google Drawings. Uh, I've done some interesting things in. Uh, but yeah, Melly's Google Sheets are absolutely fantastic. Something else you can use 
if Affinity and Adobe, a little out of your price range. Uh, there's an application called Inkscape, which is free and open source software. And it's actually pretty decent at being able to put things together on a page. Mm -hmm. These tools are... Uh really available online and i think some of these tools are going to be good for which is the other thing that i think we're going to get into now but since we're on the topic of tools i i do find google drawings to be useful for mapping out pathways if you're going to be doing it uh, digitally uh, and not at a table i've also used a couple other digital tools for pathways like uh, what was it kumo.io which is a pretty robust thing it's free but only if you're going to allow the public to be able to search and actually look at it. Uh, so that's the whole thing. And then there's like the office tools like um, Miro, which gets used at like corporate offices, I think a lot, but that's, that's kind of paid and kind of limited to just like a couple of people, which you, you can still use for your table. Uh, just the other people wouldn't be interacting. They would just be instructing with like one person to actually add elements. Um, but yeah, uh, do you, do you normally rely on any other tools for creating pathways for uh for digital games or I guess, I guess I'm not too sure if you're doing primarily digital or in-person games. Well, for the last couple of years, in-person games have been really limited. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The pathways process that I use generally goes through Google drawings and the, the bonuses to this and, and Miro is in fact the same. If you can, if like on my account with my work, I could share Miro with a bunch of people and they could all still edit it. Both Google Drawings and Miro have the advantage that everybody is able to edit it at the same time. It gives you a much clearer feeling of like you're actually at the table moving the elements around and connecting them together. And probably, or at least the opportunities there to have a uh, cleaner pathway sheet. Um, I haven't had the pleasure of doing pathways in person, but with other game systems that use pathway or relationship maps, those can get pretty messy in my experience in person, assuming your table's like constantly updating it. Now we did touch on pathways uh, in the nutshell a little bit earlier. They're this kind of uh, character creation. And if you let it setting creation process, uh, depending on what you're doing for your Cortex game, and the handbook really only shows like a pretty like it, it's more streamlined than I think what we saw in Smallville, but I think it's more generic maybe or simple. I, I'm not sure what the right word to describe it is. Like it's not bad. It's definitely like a uh, jumping off point, I think, if you're trying to design your own pathways, which I think a lot of your own games uh, do. Well, I probably have a handful of games that use pathways. It Sometimes pathways can be a lot of effort to build and customize to a game. One of the things that you, you were mentioning, the handbook version of the Pathways versus the Smallville Pathways, the handbook actually has all the different stages, but it doesn't have individualized steps for each different choice you make. You know, from the first stage, you're going to be making all the same mechanical choices on your character as anyone else. You're just going to have a different tint to them, a different cast to how you're interpreting those modifications to your character based on the choice you made. So if you, you chose wealthy or orphan or whatnot, those will influence your choices, but not explicitly like they did in Smallville. I think that's one of the things that I like to make sure that my pathways are doing 
is giving everybody a different experience. Mm -hmm. When you say that, are you talking about um, from group to group or just like really like individual to individual? Individual to individual. The choices you make during pathways will force your characters in different directions. Mm. The variation that's laid out in the handbook is wonderful. It is actually a really good thing that they simplified it for the handbook. Uh, because I think that made it a lot more approachable mm-hmm. for an individual game where the only thing, the only way that you're interacting with pathways with a single build of Cortex is through that one pathways, then I think you have a lot more leeway to get more more advanced, more explicit with how you're nudging the characters in different directions. Yeah, and that's uh, there's there's a lot of just storytelling potential. I think uh, there just within the prologue itself, uh, if you consider pathways to be a potential prologue for your your game and your characters, can you give us a an example of how you've taken pathways into a new or perhaps different direction than what's outlined in the book? Well, there's a few different things that. I've done. One of the things is basically just a an almost word-for-word copy of someone else's work. So I'm going to uh, name them here. For Mythical Wand and Steel, the pathways really only focus on the setting creation. You don't do anything with your character in them except place them on the board. Um, and that was originally developed by Stephen Cheney for the System Sun setting blog as uh you know, a setting creation only pathways. And it's been working great for every uh, mythical wand and steel game that I've run. It allows you to be able to let people come in with their character ideas already fully formed or to build the build the setting and let your players come back with characters that they've made on their own without feeling pressured to have the character ready at the end of the pathway session. The other thing that I've done that's a little different from both Smallville and the handbook is one of my settings uses power sets. Let me tell you, that's a challenge to make in Pathways because <laughs> there's mm-hmm. there's so much going on in a power set already that, you know, trying trying to have all the different variations that you could have in a character that uses power sets available through the paths of the Pathways. Yeah. And that's with the uh, Heroes of Metal and Bone, which is a derivative of Tracy Barnett's War of Metal and Bone, which is a giant dwarf mecha and reincarnated Jotun bones fighting against each other. I think I know that setting. I, I might be conflating it with like this RPG that has, I think, similar ideas. But in either case, that sounds like a pretty like... I kind of want to do that setting right now. It's really amazing. And there's there's some stuff that I really want to develop for it before I put it back out there. You know, I want to make sure that I'm not doing anything too bizarre with, uh, mm. you know, having the dwarves recolonizing the earth, for instance. So that that's that's a whole other topic. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, I guess there, there are two different perspectives here. I think when you're finally like sitting down at the table for Pathways, do you have any advice for uh, the GM perspective and or the player perspective when coming to a table for a Cortex game with Pathways? Like, is there a certain like mentality they should go in with or uh, anything else that they should keep in mind? 
Well, for the GM, one of the things that you want to be aware of is that the pathways are partially going to tell you exactly what the players want out of the game. So unless you're putting limits on the setting creation during the pathway session, don't have any preconceptions. Just just let it roll and then come back once everything's on the table and figure out what your plots are going to be. Because even just in pathways, uh, your expectations might explode in very bizarre directions. Yeah. As for the players, kind of the same thing. There's a few different ways to approach pathways if you're a player. You can come in with a specific character idea and chase that idea through the board. You can come in with absolutely no preconceptions and just go, this sounds good. Oh, I like this. And at the end, you've got a character that's developed organically and makes sense in both the game world and mechanically and will surprise you in terms of what you want to play and how you want to play. And then, you know, the other specific thing you can do is kind of have a an idea of the mechanical focus you want. Find those elements on the board and chase them down without regard to the storyline and then see how the storyline comes up with your character. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically a opportunity to kind of, um, well, I was going to say yes and, but um, and I think that's true to a degree, but it's an opportunity to just kind of let yourself be surprised by what's happening before you even hit the table for the actual game. Another thing that this is also this conversation is also making me think of. Uh, I, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Ben Robbins, like Microscope or uh, Kingdom. So I discussed briefly the mm-hmm. uh, system sun setting variation of Pathways, and that mm. very explicitly is also developed partially by looking at Microscope. So one of the elements that you're working on in that variation of Pathways is that you're adding ads and bands to the board, mm-hmm. which are things that come from Microscope. So yeah, I I am familiar. Yeah, and I think um, in Microscope, for, for the listener who doesn't know, uh, well, first and foremost, Microscope and its sister game, Kingdom, which is compatible, it's a uh, GM-less and diceless system. And um, one of the things you do when you're setting up for that game is you're, you're, uh, they do what's called, um, I think they call it a setting palette. So that, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting here is um, Pathways could potentially be in your Cortex game uh, a way to do a setting palette, especially if you're working with a setting that's not too fleshed out, if fleshed out at all, depending on what you're doing for your table. You're talking about you know, building the setting palette that's there for the table. There's a variant of Mythical Wand and Steel that I created a couple of years ago for Fate. I use Pathways again in Fate. What ends up happening is that each of the elements on the board becomes a setting aspect that's available to all the players during the game. That ends up being part of the whole process is building the tools that you're able to use while you're playing. Talk to me a little bit more uh, about some of your projects that you're using for this. So you mentioned Mythical One and Steel, which was a couple years ago, but um, what are you working on today or more recently that uses Pathways? Well, the project I'm really focusing a lot of my attention on lately has been Whiskey, Grits, and Demon Spittle, which started as, you know, kind of a challenge to myself. You know, I was going to speed run game creation. Melly Doucette, the community manager at Fandom Tabletop, posted a tweet 
at some point, challenging people to roll 3d12s, compare them to a table, and build a game based on those three elements. So, you know, take three, add cortex. Mm. And the three elements that I rolled were fantasy, western, and espionage. Cam's immediate reaction to that was that it was wild, wild west. Okay. <laughs> so I ran with that. I, I stuck that right at the top of the character sheet right away. Wild, wild west. And at that point, it was it, it took less than 15 minutes to build out the trait sets because the, the, the first set, the roles, were really suddenly very obvious. I just took, uh, you know, rootin' tootin' and just kept rhyming things, and it, it, it was so much fun. So the, the roles in Whiskey, Grits, and Demon Spittle, originally Wild Wild West, are rootin', tootin', lootin', falutin', bootin', and shootin'. <laughs> Some of those are obvious. Yeah. Some others aren't. I, I do go into it a little more deeply in the build document itself. Mm. But the way that ended up shaking out is I added values because I thought, hey, that's one of the things that you're focused on during uh, Western style stories. Values I chose were authority, bravery, duty, grace, discovery, and fortitude. All things that work in a Western setting. Mm -hmm. And here's where I diverge from the general wisdom behind values. They don't have statements. Instead, they're what you hang stress on. So you can uh, have your values shaken and stricken. I like that a lot. It's, it's like an opportunity, I think, to question your values in, the, in a different way, potentially. But uh, please go on. It was something where I wanted to make the game very simple. Something that can hit the table really fast something where I wanted to be able to use a visual conceit that I really, really loved seeing when I first saw it. So I think it was John Harper who did this. So there, there's a game called In a Wicked Age, and there was a variation on that, uh, I believe, called In a Wicked Town. John Harper made a character sheet for that that used, uh, as part of the graphic design, two six-shooter barrels. And so that's actually incorporated into the character sheet for Whiskey, Grits, and Demon Spittle. So your two main trait sets are uh, skeuomorphically placed on the character sheet as revolver barrels. <laughs> <laughs> I love that a lot um, because it, it lets your character sheet in any game should tell you what the game is about. But to have like that extra extra detail uh, can pull a player in like immediately. And that's that's one of the things that I try to do with the character sheets is really inject a whole lot of the personality of the game into them. And that, you know, that comes from font choices and uh, spacing, placement, all of that goes into giving you the feel of the game you're playing. So in this particular case, with the Wild Wild West game that I threw together in two hours between dice roll and working character sheet, I thought, wow, this is great, but I do not own and will never own the IP for Wild Wild West. <laughs> And if I want to, you know, get this out there and be able to get it on people's shelves or in people's PDF libraries or whatever, I needed to find a way to make it mine. And what I didn't want to do is stay stuck in the colonial west of the United States because there's a huge amount of pitfalls trying to do that. Yeah, it's 
uh, I, I think that's why like other styles of Westerns that move away from that as uh, perhaps more accepting, I should say. But yeah, it, like I think the Western genre uh, has a lot of, um, let's say, baggage that you do have to be careful about when you're writing for the genre and for the setting. Um, so in this regard, like what direction does you wind up taking? Well, I put it in the future and I put it on Mars. <laughs> John Carter vibes, to say the least, I think, right? I, I think you cite John Carter as an inspiration. Uh, is, is that accurate? A little bit. Only in as much as, you know, it's on Mars. There's magic. Heroics. There's daring. I think that what I ended up pulling more from, there's a relatively recent game for the Resistance system called heart the city beneath uh, it's on my to read list i love uh that's like the is it a spinoff or like sequel is not the right word but i want to use the word sequel for the spire correct yeah they they both take place in the same world spire is above mm. heart as it were mm. but they have very different focuses spire is about you know rebelling against the machine as it were, yeah. whereas Heart is about exploring the unknown and seeing how it changes you and how you can change it. And one of the one of the setting elements in Heart is that the world around you will actually take your thoughts and desires and turn them into reality in various ways that may or may not be productive or useful to you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that is happening on Whiskey Grits and Demon Spittles Mars. In order to terraform the planet, we broke into a an alternate universe full of just this this mystical energy that I'm calling ether. So there's there's these 18 of these gates across Mars. Through them flows this magical energy that forces reality to whatever you want it to be. But it's a little fickle. And around the various gates, humanity has kind of solidified reality in such a way that, you know, you can, you can call the entire area around them points and they're very Earth-like. But outside of that, anything goes. In terms of like how players are interacting with this, like I guess what's the um, what's the scope of what the players are doing? Is it a global scale where the players are interacting with these various gates on a whole, or is it more like down to earth or I guess down to Mars uh, type deal here? Both of those things can be explored, and that's that's one of the things. Okay, we're gonna loop this back around. That's one mm. of the things that you can really define with your group through the pathways yeah yeah you're right because i like i'm not sure what you specifically did for this build but you can definitely have uh pathways be like if, if we're talking about locations or characters and where those characters are that we're introducing pathways like you could definitely have it like hyper localized to um i'm assuming there's like uh, a lot of maybe frontier uh, elements here on uh, this terraforming Mars. Correct. Yeah, especially mm. especially in ways that you know something might have been mapped fifty years ago, but you have no clue what's there now. Because oh, I love if that. If someone moved in there and has a powerful will, well, there might be a kind of a pocket reality that has changed a lot of things. Well, I like that a lot. Is there uh, is there a play here for the? I mean, I, I assume so, but is there a play here for the player characters to interact with that? Or when I think the Wild West, especially for like my own stuff that I'm writing, like I, I can't help but think that these various gates are going to be ran by like 
the company, quote unquote. Uh, th- that's an element of the Old West, I think, where there's a lot of like companies trying to uh, get ahead of uh, civilization back east and try to monopolize the resources that are there on the frontier. I guess that's my overall question is um how are these like gates controlled and how do we see players being able to interact with these gates that is in development so, so the <laughs> uh, fair enough fair enough what i have kind of solidified is that there is a guild system uh so mm-hmm. so each of the players are going to be members of one guild or another so there's there's a you know there ends up being kind of a a reporting structure a Mm -hmm. commerce system between the various points part of what ends up happening with the guilds and through pathways is that you're building the world you're choosing the guild that your character belongs to and you get to define that guild you get to say okay well my character has chosen to be a trailblazer okay what's your guild name we're going to be the rail runners. Okay, awesome. What does that mean? What, where does where does the guild fit into the world? And I think that ends up being a really interesting part of character creation, partially because uh, the characters themselves are likely to be in different guilds. So mm-hmm. one of the elements here is what causes everybody to have a common cause? Why is everybody working together? The other thing that happens is... Are the guilds themselves working together or working against each other? And how do the players fit into that? I like that a lot. So it kind of sounds like there's a potential here for player versus player drama, perhaps, if their guilds are butting heads. Are they necessarily like in charge of their guild or are they just like a cog for their guild? Again, that seems like an answer the table would have to answer. Fair enough. Yeah. I see the players generally as at least starting off as cogs in their guilds that's the thing that like i I guess i'm trying to i guess to walk it back a little bit like there's always going to be this ongoing conversation with pathways um which is what makes it like a long process i think because it's not just doing abc like uh, stages abc or whatever and then you're done there should be some conversation at the table some talk about um what was this specific element mean where these players are going so i guess this does kind of circle back to an earlier thing i said asked which was like uh, whether this was going to be like a global or hyper localized scope for the game I mean, it sounds like you just dial it however you want, and um, you'll express that through pathways and just your general conversation at the table. Well, and in this particular case, with the Whiskey, Grits, and Demonsville pathways, I've done something that, well, I've pushed a little farther in a direction that I don't think I've seen other pathways do, in that the leading questions that accompany each of the stages, I've made very specific. One of the things that happens during Pathways, especially with players who are unsure about the setting or uncertain about their characters, is that you're going to stare at a choice and go, what am I doing with this? With these Pathways, each of the choices have a very specific question to ask you. I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) Um, And if you happen to choose Ether Touched, as your origin. Every single one of the stages in origin gives you a a GMC and a location, but each one of them asks you a different question about that GMC and that location. So EtherTouched asks you, you know, well, it tells you that the GMC is your mentor. Okay, well, what does that mean for you? And it says that the location is a magical place that defies logic. So that right there takes down a lot of the analysis process and gives your character 
an immediate focus to kind of put them on a specific path that is, you know, very unique to the game world itself. I think it's important to be able to let our players, uh, even if they're not like already familiar with the setting, um, start to get acquainted with the setting uh, as early as character creation uh, without necessarily drowning them in like uh, pages of lore that, you know, might be perceived as homework when they're uh, really just trying to get into the game uh, to begin with. So in the in staring at the at the character sheet and reading the roles out loud to myself, uh, written Tutin, Falutin, you know, it really really put my brain in mind of something. And this is exactly where the title of the game itself comes from: Whiskey Grits and Demon Spittle. So at some point on Tumblr, of all places, someone posted a comparison that witches and cowboys are the same entity but just separated at night and day. And somewhere along this chain of replies. A user named Omnibus, who I have asked permission and received it (laughs) to use the poem and the name, kind of rebuilt a scene from Macbeth to exemplify this connection between witches and cowboys. And what I what I would love is to actually hear this poem read out loud by by Matthew Mercer. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be really amazing, but Mm. I don't think I have I have quite the clout to make that happen. But I can read it. I will try to do my best, Matthew Mercer. Rootin', tootin', toilin', shootin', fire burnin', cowboy bootin'. I've newtin' spicy beans, toe of frog in denim jeans, whiskey grits and demon spittle, tossed into my iron griddle. With the tannin of our hides, something wicked this way rides. That's amazing. Sorry, I'm I'm still processing it. I have a lot of like imagery that's coming up from that, uh, and yeah, no, I I can kind of see uh, where that comparison is coming from with the. Uh, cowboys and witches well yeah the the thread goes on to describe a whole number of different uh specifics uh midnight and high noon robes and ponchos big silly hats dangerous auras Mm. yeah it's rides brooms at night because horses are sleeping (laughs) rides horses at day because brooms are recharging you know it's so yeah and that's (laughs) that is Mm. a big part of the vibe that i want to build into this game so yeah, I kind of want that that set of stanzas to be on people's minds as they sit down at the table and get their dice ready. Yeah, I think if I was running a game for this, and I do want to run a game for this now, because this is like basically right up my alley, uh, I, I would basically want to preface a campaign uh, with, with that. I think it just sets the right mood. Well, you've got a recording now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Matt Mercer would be proud if I do say so myself. So, uh, with that said, listeners can expect to find this on the uh, Creator Studio, correct? Once the Creator Studio is rip-roaring ready to go, uh, yeah, that's that's exactly where it's going. Right now, there's a an initial build mm. that is sitting in my Google Docs, and that's going to be linked from my link tree, which has a number of things. Which we'll, uh, we'll definitely put in the show notes. And um, our listeners going to be able to... 
apply or uh, take this basic build for, for a playtest and get back to you with feedback? Or is it not quite there yet? I don't have playtest notes or reactions or anything written out yet, but people are always welcome to contact me, email, Twitter, Discord. They're on the link tree. They're all unsurprising because it's all Angeal. I mean, brand name, right? So I'll put the link tree in the show notes, which will have all that information. Uh, and you can always follow up on the development of this game and any number of other games that Angel here is working on. You can also find our uh, Prime by Cortex socials in our very own link tree, uh, which we always include in the show notes. Before we uh, set off toward that Martian sunset, um, do you have anything else uh, you would like to put out there into the community? Well, just that I am really excited to see how Tales of Zadia and Legends of Grayskull are going to expand this game across more than just the RPG community. And I can't wait to see new players uh, getting into this hobby through those I'm excited to see what they think of my games. Yeah, it's going to be like an explosion of uh, new people in the community between those releases and then the creator studio uh, is probably also going to introduce his own wave when we have dozens of games there from yourself, uh, from other members from around the communities. Yes, it's going to be a blast. Uh, Well, thanks for stopping by and joining me on, on this episode. It was an absolute pleasure. And as always, listeners, uh, we will see you next time.